This is the intersection. The intersection. This is the Intersection Podcast, recorded Thursday, the 25th of May, 2017. Episode 16, Farce of the Covenant. The Intersection Podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Hello and welcome again to The Intersection, the podcast that bridges together the worlds of tech and pop culture. And in this episode this week, we're going to jump back into the world of film and cinema. And joining us again, I'm pleased to say, is our resident film aficionado, Bronson Green. Bronson, how have you been doing? I've been very good, thank you. Uh, yeah, good to be back. How have you been? Not too bad. Have you been enjoying this glorious British sunshine like the rest of us? Or Absolutely, yeah. Um yeah, I mean, look, uh, if it's going to be like this through uh, June, July and August, then we're going to be very lucky, aren't we? We are indeed. We are indeed. I just hope it stays consistent because we know what the British weather can be like. But um, so we've got a few items to discuss this week uh, in terms of uh, cinema. But uh, it would be slightly remiss of of us if we uh, didn't begin by saying a few words about Roger Moore. Uh, so Roger Moore who's tragically uh, passed away on tuesday although he lived a good life he i believe he was what was he 89 yeah he had a very good innings didn't he uh, lived to a ripe old age yeah it was it was actually very emotional um me and you are roughly the same age and uh, even though connery's my favorite bond um i like daniel craig and i've got a soft spot for timothy dalton but when we were kids uh, roger moore was bond wasn't he and um not only that but he was a genuinely nice person. I know that whenever somebody dies, they don't speak ill of them in the media. You always get tributes which are glowing, but I think he genuinely was. He was a, obviously a UNICEF ambassador, which everyone knows about. I um, always used to notice when people spoke about him in the media, even Connery, who apparently Sean Connery in real life, he decides very early as to whether he likes or dislikes someone. <laughs> if he dislikes, he apparently he, he can be quite sharp with people. But he, even he came out with a quote, didn't he, this week, that um, by Hollywood standards, his relationship with Roger Moore was surprisingly a long one. It lasted almost a lifetime. And um, so he, he said good things about him. And I, I actually, about five or six years ago, I actually read his autobiography. I think it's called uh, My Word is My Bond. Ah, um, okay. It, yeah, and it was a very... Um, a very good autobiography. It was completely not egotistical. It wasn't smarmy. It, I didn't get the impression this was someone trying to big himself up or apologize for indiscretions in the past. It was just very frank, straightforward and normal. And I thought, this guy actually sounds like a pretty, pretty good guy. Um, so, yeah, I was very sad when I heard the news. What, what about you? Yeah, yeah, that was pretty sad. I, mean, I, 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 I agree that, uh, you know... Um, he was definitely James Bond for our generation. Um, I mean, that was James Bond. That was who you saw when the films came out in the eighties. Um, he, is he the best Bond? Was he the best Bond? I don't know. I mean, that's a discussion for another episode, but you know, he, he, 
he made the role his own and um he had a he was he was a real classy guy he was a real gem and um he had this charm and charisma about him and yeah he will definitely be missed um but it's sad that he passed away but you know as you say he he did he did live a good life he lived to a ripe old age i mean 89 is a is a good age and um so i believe he died in switzerland and it was a short battle with cancer so again it doesn't sound like he was ill for too long so you know um but it, it is sad it's sad he's, he's another sort of iconic um british legend that's passed away and there's not many of them left actually um he was um from what i know um so he 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 sort of born and grew up in stockwell south london um and he went to uh, he went to school in Stockwell primary school, and then after that, I believe he he went to a boarding school. Um, and here's a bit of trivia for you: the school that he went to in Stockwell is the same school that my dad went to. Oh wow! Okay. Obviously, not the same time. <laughs> no, they're not the same age, but um, yeah, same school. That's fantastic. That's a nice bit of trivia. Always a bit closer to home when you when you have a a piece of trivia like that. And do you know what? He, um, one of the things I always remember, just, this just sprang to my mind right now. Every time I saw an interview with him on television, I always used to think this guy is super self-deprecating. He really didn't take himself too seriously. And it was almost, sometimes it was almost as if he was getting a little joke in at his own expense before someone else could make it. He was probably quite aware of the way his portrayal of Bond was with the eyebrow and everything and how the films got progressively sillier. Um, but he was always so self self deprecating, and again, it was it was never a case there where you're sitting there thinking this guy's a bit of a bit of an asshole. I mean, the other day I was watching Graham Norton and um, Guy Ritchie and Charlie Hunnam were on it uh, promoting uh, King, Arthur. King Arthur, which I think has flopped big time. Um, and I have to say, the two of them on that show, I'm not going to say any bad words, but they did not come across very well at all. And I was kind of sitting there thinking. Hmm. Kind of get an idea if I met these guys in real life. I'm not sure if I'd hit it off with them. But with other celebrities, you kind of see them. You can tell that they're kind of good, really good, genuine good people. I think Hugh Jackman's another one. You can just tell he he's a proper good good guy. Yeah. I think Roger Moore came across like that as well. Yeah, it tends to be the celebrities who. Um... You know, they don't take themselves too seriously, um, can can poke fun at themselves and obviously the the roles that they've been they've made, you know, been famous for. Um and yeah, that's the problem. A lot of celebrities today, a lot of um people in the film industry in particular just believe their own hype and it it doesn't come across very well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, look, just going back to Roger Roger Moore, as I say, he uh uh he didn't try and copy uh Connery um obviously it was always a bit of an irony that he's actually older than sean connery so when he took on the role that that, that was kind of amusing wasn't it um obviously roger moore had been lucky he pretty much kept his barnet didn't he for his whole life um he was the longest serving bond too wasn't he roger moore what certainly was i believe you're, you're right there as well um sort of spanned the 70s and the 80s didn't he yeah. um or certainly up into the mid 80s and um i think connery has most of the the most iconic scenes and iconic lines that I certainly like from Bond, uh, and a lot of them are in Goldfinger. But um, certainly, the Spy Who Loved Me and the that famous opening where he leaves the log cabin and the the parachute with the Union Jack on it that'll probably be that'll always be 
the sort of sequence that he'll be remembered for. And, and, and the line, just as he's leaving the log cabin, where the woman goes, James, don't leave me. And he sort of, before he puts his skiing goggles on, he goes, sorry, darling, England, England needs, needs me. me. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, he delivered those lines just, so well. Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, rest in peace, Roger Moore. Another great loss. That's a shame. God bless Right, moving on to our first story. Um, actually, I want to quickly say um, something about this, this this story that broke. It broke um, last week, I believe, um, concerning um, Disney. And um, so basically, the pirates of the internet are holding Disney to ransom concerning the pirates of the Caribbean. Um, so the new Pirates of the Caribbean movie, the fifth one, I believe, I think that's due out tomorrow, actually. That's due out tomorrow. I can't remember what it's called. It's got two different titles, hasn't it? There's one in the States. What's it called, What's it called again? Dead Men uh, Tell No Tales or something like that? That sounds about right. Has it got two titles? I, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's got a different title in, in, in the UK. Um, yeah. I don't know why. Um, yeah, that's really weird. Salazar's Revenge. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah, Salazar's Revenge. That's what it's called in the right. UK. Which actually sounds like... That's a, that's a pretty good title, actually. But nonetheless, sounds uh, exotic, right? It sounds, doesn't it? Yeah. Nonetheless, anyway, this is um. So this movie's out tomorrow. Obviously, this is the fifth one. Big money for Disney normally these these films, and we have some hackers who are demanding money from Disney and who claim they have a copy of the film. They actually claim that they have somehow hacked into Disney's servers where the film is obviously stored digitally somewhere, um, and 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 obtained a copy, a digital copy of the of the movie. Now. If you think about the hack, hacking scenario we had with the NHS recently, or the NHS was one of many organizations where you had hackers who took over the systems and held the NHS to ransom, they wanted a payment in Bitcoin. So Bitcoin being that cryptocurrency that is untra untraceable, apparently. So, uh, the, so these hackers have uh, made the similar demand. They want to be paid in Bitcoin, and apparently it's a very large amount of money. And this comes from... Um, uh, Disney CEO Bob Iger, who apparently told some employees and, and you know, word got out that, um, you know, they were, were being held to ransom, but Disney weren't going to pay and that they were working with the FBI to put a stop to it. Now, um, the, the, the funny thing is the hackers have said that if Disney basically don't pay up, then they are going to release uh, five minutes of footage online and continue to release 20 minute chunks um, and, and until the ransom is paid. So what do you make of that? Is this a new form of uh, terrorism that uh, will affect uh, big studios in Hollywood? Yeah, I think it was only a matter of time, actually. Um, I mean, obviously, piracy, digital piracy, where you can basically just download movies and TV shows, that's already played havoc with, with Hollywood, with the mm -hmm. entertainment industry. So a theft and a, a demand, a ransom demand like this, it, it was kind of inevitable. And in, in fact, I'm a little bit surprised it's taken this long, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um, I think, um, I mean, it's happened before, so not the first time, but I guess this is the first time that a studio has been held to ransom or that we are aware that studio has been held to ransom because obviously these things could happen quietly. Um, films have been leaked before, early. Um, the most recent example I can think of is... Um, Tarantino's movie, The Hateful Eight. Right. That was leaked pretty early. Um, and he was pissed off about that, apparently. 
but that it was leaked at a time when it had already been been in cinemas for several weeks so it, it didn't really suffer any sort of financial loss i mean his, his fan base were always going to go and watch that movie in the cinema anyway um but this the thing this disney movie is that um you know pirates of the caribbean isn't out yet the fifth one isn't out yet and um you know your five pound dvds that your your local resident pirate will sell you in, the, in your local town center they can have a pristine copy of that movie so i don't know if they'll lose that much money um do you, do you think they'll lose money if this thing is leaked in its entirety uh yeah, I think if it if it gets a leak, they'll it'll it'll certainly hurt them. But then again, I think the core audience of a film like this might want to make an, a bit of an event of it and watch it at the cinema anyway. I mean, I'd imagine it's sort of young people or uh, a lot of kids um, who might not have seen the pre the 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 original movies, maybe. And um, it's a spectacle. It's an effect film which you, you probably need to see on the big screen. So I. I don't think it'd kill the film, but it would certainly hurt them. But but is is it actually available to download? Um, like, or, or have they not leaked it yet? These pirates. Well, I, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. So they they say they have it. They say they will leak the, the, the thing in twenty minute chunks until Disney pay up. Now, there's two things that can happen here. Um, Disney could just hope this all goes away and pay up quietly. Or they could just um, call their bluff and then and 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 test these people and see if they they actually do have the movie or if they're willing to do it. The problem is once it's leaked, if they do leak it, the damage is done. All you need is one copy out there in the wild, and that's it. And it'll spread like wildfire. So, I personally think that we probably won't hear any more about this. It will go away, and they will pay whatever it is they have to pay we don't know at the moment how much it is that they've asked for we, we've just heard that it's a, it's a rather large amount but it's not going to be as large wow. as you reckon disney will cave and pay yeah. it yeah i reckon okay yeah it's not going to be anything near the amount this thing will gross worldwide anyway right so it it's just they'll write it off yeah that's uh that's fascinating um and yeah if they do cave they certainly wouldn't want any publicity exactly. that they've done that exactly and this and this like i said disney didn't this 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 was i think it was an informal conversation that bob Iger had with someone at disney and it got out and it leaked and and and, and you know so they, they won't want to admit that they've been held to ransom like this and it actually makes you wonder about what sort of security they have i mean you can just get into a server and just get a digital copy of a of a movie i mean obviously stored somewhere but i wouldn't have thought they'd be kept on connected servers especially before release yeah, I think a lot of um, a lot of corporations out there have lax security on their IT infrastructure, and you would be surprised um, how many companies just sort of literally at board meetings or whatever, the FD sort of turns around and says, Do "You know what? If we can go another six months without upgrading this or without upgrading that, let's see, let's see if we can wring a bit more money out of." the previous version of this software or this particular box that we've got. Um, so these recent um, high profile uh, attacks that we've seen um, globally, I think they're kind of uh, a result of that legacy. Uh, certainly with the NHS it was anyway, wasn't it? Oh yeah. 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 That was, um, that was pretty, f well, it was, I say funny, but it was quite amusing because I actually had the hospital appointment the week uh, that happened and it was just like how things used to be done in the old the old days you know the doctor actually came out of, of, of his office and actually called out people 
you know, they had everything written down in paper and pen. So have you got a kick of nostalgia out of that at least then? So there was some silver lining. Exactly. It was a nice reminder of how things used to be. But uh, yeah, security is generally lax all over the place. Absolutely. Um, so there's nothing more I really want to say about that Pirates of the Caribbean thing. I think it's, it's it, the story's just going to disappear. It's going to go away quietly. This movie's out tomorrow in the UK. I think it's already out in the States. Um, as far as I'm aware, there isn't a copy of this movie available on the internet yet. So uh, yeah, I think they'll pay up. Yeah, um, it, it'll be interesting to track its performance in comparison with the other Pirates movies. Um, but uh, yeah, listen, whatever happens, it, it probably won't flop as hard as King Arthur did. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's been a disaster from what I hear. And I'm not surprised, really. I'm not surprised. Well, it, 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 you could say Guy Ritchie fell on his own sword, couldn't you? <laughs> Isn't David Beckham in that? Well, that's something stupid like that. He's got cameo or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, one of the few things I I used to say that I like about David Beckham is the fact that he is actually an East End lad, born and bred. Um, but his his Cockney accent in that film is is terrible, apparently. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, he's uh, he he got slaughtered, didn't he, for his little cameo? And um, I'm not surprised that it that it was poor because. Uh, you know, he's the way he projects himself and the way he speaks. Um, he's not the most polished or intellectual, is he? So, uh, so this, uh, <laughs> so this King Arthur movie's flopped, and it came out probably at a bad time. It came out in between the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie and Alien Covenant, which is a really, really bad time to release a movie. And apparently, this is supposed to be um, the beginning of a, uh, a franchise, isn't it? Didn't he say he's got about sort of four or five films lined up? Somebody so, said it was the first of six films. Six. Somebody said that. Oh. It might have been a producer, Hollywood Slimeball producer, that said that. But it did make me think, like, people who green light these things, do they really think a property like this would spawn, you know, even one worthwhile sequel? I mean, it, it just shows you the deficiency in judgment. Some of the people in Hollywood who, who make the call on greenlighting some of these projects. And I mean, I mean, to be fair to Guy Ritchie, he did a pretty good job with Sherlock Holmes. I enjoyed it. You know, I think Robin, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was well cast. I thought it was considering there's been so many cinematic and TV adaptations of Sherlock Holmes. I thought this one's going to be disappointing, but it wasn't, you know, Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes is pretty good. It's the only uh, one of his movies or rather there's two of them, but the only ones of his movies that I can actually tolerate watching. I can't stand any other. Guy Wait, you, don't even, you don't even like lock stock no i don't like lock stock not at all never liked it okay well i i kind of have a soft spot for lock stock but um but yeah look when you look at snatch revolver and now this um yeah the guy's sort of uh he's running out of lives quickly and and, and when you see the way he conducts himself like he doesn't give many interviews on tv but as i mentioned earlier he was on the bbc on graham norton and uh he just came across a little bit of a fool so um disappointing because he's, he's he's british and everything and I'd, I'd like to see him you know be the next ridley scott or something you know uh flying the flag for britain in hollywood but uh, i don't think that's quite going to happen now no no but i'm not surprised i i always felt he was completely overrated and um 
let's just say he borrowed a lot of things from directors before him, you know, in terms of his style and, and in his approach to, to, to his characters and his approach to his movies. And yeah, completely overrated. I never did like Guy Ritchie. Um, you're right. He doesn't get interviewed much. In fact, I can't, I can't, I haven't seen a single interview with him, but you said he was on Graham Norton the other night. So plug in the movie. So yeah. I might watch that on catch up. Have a, have a little look on, on, on that interview. Tell me if you think I'm being harsh, maybe. Maybe I am. I mean, to be fair, it's Guy Ritchie, his leading man, Charlie Hunnam, the guy who's the perpetrator of the worst Cockney accent I've ever seen, and that was in the movie Green Street. Um, he he didn't come across particularly well either. He just kind of sat there like a two-by-four and didn't really have any personality. And I was like, this guy's a Hollywood star? Like, in a TV show? Um, is it Sons of Anarchy? Is that the show that he's, has made him a bit famous? I, mean, I think so, yeah. Okay. Again, who calls the shots on these things in Hollywood? It just boggles my mind. And why on earth are you going to cast Jude Law as a villain? <laughs> yeah, it's a little, little bit like Chris Rock said all those years ago. Who's this guy, Jude Law? He just keeps turning up in every film. Who the fuck is Jude Law? Yeah, I pretty much uh, I think that was all around. <laughs> that was a thought that we were all having when he was popping up in literally every single film, left, right and centre. Uh, that was about 10 years, 10 years ago now, wasn't it? But, um... Yeah, I mean, I won't, I won't, I won't bag on about Hollywood for too much because we've done this before. And um, but <laughs> when I when I went to see, I just, so I took my son to see the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and I really enjoyed that. It was good fun. It was good popcorn fun. But there, you obviously had the trailers for the kid, the, you know, the kid, the kids' movies before the film started, and you know the next idea coming out of Hollywood, an emoji movie. Yeah, the emoji movie. They're making really? a movie out of emojis. Little animated they, emojis. I knew they were making not just one movie, but a trilogy of Tetris movies and an Angry Bird movie. Or have they already made the Angry Bird movie? They made the Angry Bird movie, yeah. Right, okay, right. But yeah, wow, that boggles my mind, an emoji movie. No, I, I almost don't believe you. Yeah, it's true. I'm just wondering at... Uh... It must have been some good cocaine when uh, that was done when that one was uh, green lit. Crazy. Yeah. That just about sums it up, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, move to the next uh, thing I was going to discuss. Again, back about Star Wars. We always talk about Star Wars, and Star Wars um, Episode Eight is out in December, The Last Jedi. But um, there's, a little, there's a news item that's broke literally in the last day or so um, from Lucas, um, Lucasfilm. Apparently, Kathleen Kennedy, presently Lucasfilm, has uh, claimed that episode nine was supposed to be about General Leia Organa. It's supposed to be her movie in the same way that um, the, the Force Awakens was sort of Han Solo's movie. And apparently Last Jedi is Luke's movie. So this the last one would have been Leia's movie. And of course, we've lost Carrie Fisher. So I do wonder um what their plans are i mean we kind of asked this question before but it's it's actually come out of the horse's mouth now kathleen kennedy um i, I they, what are they going to do, do? Mean, do you mean that that this leads you to suspect that they were thinking of killing off luke in episode eight possibly is that, is that what you're getting at possibly hmm. yeah I, I read that quote from kathleen kennedy was it was it in vanity fair magazine or something um yeah, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, those uh, those photographs by Annie Leibovitz, by the way, uh, were fantastic. I mean, she always does an amazing job. I remember the Vanity Fair articles for the prequels and um, yeah. some of the photos 
clips she took uh, of, of like Hayden Christensen and, and Ewan McGregor and, and, and Ray Parks, Darth Maul, they, they, um, they were magnificent, actually. And, and the, the, the photograph of um, brother and sister, Luke and Leia, holding each other was uh, actually really... I stared at that photo for a good few minutes, you know. It yeah, was really so did I. It was a really, really good photo, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... it's, it's um, so it's basically... Um, Luke, so uh, older Luke Skywalker in his full Jedi garb and bearded Luke Skywalker, of course, and uh, General Leia in, in an embrace. And it's really nice. It's really nice. And it's and I'll probably put a link to the image on the show notes so those listening can have a look at it. But yeah, there's some good photos from that uh, issue of Vanity Fair. I've only seen what they have uh, sort of previewed online. I presume there'll be a lot more when you actually buy the magazine. Um, I guess and- so. And there's a few bits in there. There's, there's. I mean, if anyone cares for the newer characters, you, you. There's quite a few images of um, Kylo Ren without his helmet now, and with the scarf running across his face and imposing with a lightsaber. Um, we also see um, Ray. There's one with Ray and Chewbacca, and then Ray just sort of on that planet, uh, Octo, Octo. Um, That's actually quite. That's quite a magnificent composition as well, isn't it? Where, where Ray's holding the lightsaber with the, the sort of the coast in the background. Yeah, um, I mean it's annoying. We said this before. It's annoying that Ray looks exactly the same as when we left her in Episode Seven. Uh, does, but you know it, yeah, that that was a nice photo. But yeah, that's the that's the episode. Um, episode that's the issue of Vanity Fair, uh, which uh, I think is out now. I haven't picked one up yet. Um, I don't normally buy Vanity Fair, of course. Yeah, I think one and only time I did is that that photo shoot they did with the prequels as you mentioned but yeah definitely definitely have a look at it and see if there's any more information about uh, episode eight but um they did they did three for the prequels actually and um i think i bought all three issues so in in, in 99 in 02 and in 05 um, but i probably won't buy this one just because as i said before i'm not not as as jazzed about this trilogy now um but certainly the the photographs are brilliant yeah they um they also they did one uh with the prequels that also included the cast of the the original trilogy so there's a bit, a bit of a mix between all of them i remember that one that was that was that pretty was, good that was the front cover actually which folded out into four pages and yeah. it had the old trilogy cast and the prequel trilogy cast and they're all sitting together and they even had like a cg jar jar sitting right in the middle which no doubt was uh george giving a bit of a <laughs> flick at the bird again at certain fans i'm sure yeah it was definitely he, I, I kid you not he's sitting right in the middle <laughs> of, the, <laughs> of the spread so uh, yeah love it uh, it probably was george having a bit of fun but um yeah so so Back to this thing, Kathleen Kennedy says that, well, she claims at the minute that um, Carrie Fisher wrapped, wrapped up filming on for episode eight, she grabbed her and said, I'd better be at the forefront of nine. I'm not sure if I believe that, but um, apparently it's not to be, it's not going to happen. And that was the plan all along, but it's not going to happen now. So if we are to believe what Kathleen Kennedy is saying, and she does say a lot of things, um, what are Disney going to do? Well, I think that first of all, I don't believe what Kathleen Kennedy said. Um, but if that was the strategy to make episode seven Han Solo's film, 
episode eight, Sky Luke Skywalker's, and then the final one to be Leia's movie. That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, you don't need to spread those three characters that thin, almost to give them each the, the center stage, you know, per, you know, for a film. That that straight away, I don't like that idea. Uh, secondly, like I said, I, I don't believe Leia would have been like the center, of the, like a big player in episode nine like Han was in episode seven I'm not sure I believe that um what are Disney gonna do well they're just gonna kind of have to make it up as they go along which they they, they kind of did that anyway with episode seven that when you look at how comparatively rushed into production that film was um so it's it's not something that grabbed my attention and and made me think too deeply about it but um I mean, if that was the idea to kill off Luke in episode eight and make it look, make the whole scene look so bleak and hopeless and then suddenly Leia pulls it out of the fire in episode nine, if that was the three film kind of arc kind of strategy, um, I think it sucks. It's not really, unless, unless it's, you know, Leia finally pulling her son Kylo back from the dark side to the light. If that's what they meant, that she was going finally going to be the one who does that through, you know, her, her through love or something. I don't know. Rather Mother's than, love, yeah. That, that that could have been interesting, but yeah, like I said, I'm not. I don't. I take everything Kathleen Kennedy says with a with a pinch of salt. I think it's just there to serve to be fan service to to um to make sure people don't get too downhearted before they've seen the film and probably what they end up watching is not exactly the way she painted it I, i'm starting to get that impression yeah you're most likely right um yeah you're most likely right i think um i said it before i think they have they they blew it i think they had it was great to get the uh you know the original three back together back on board in terms of the star wars franchise and they completely blew any opportunity of having them on screen together at the same time that's never going to happen now um and you talk about yeah maybe leia would be the one to sort of redeem or bring back you know kylo ren or ben his name is from the dark side i think is irredeemable anyway i mean he's killed his father i, I don't know how they're going to do, make him come back from that and two it's going to be a real problem actually if they haven't actually um, shot a scene with Leia and her son together or Leia at least trying to bring her son back from the dark side then they've, they've really blown it I mean I don't understand There's, the problem is the new characters aren't strong enough to hold hold, hold these movies on their own I mean episode uh, 8 is going to be very heavy with Luke Skywalker so we've been told they could be lying about that as well because they, they implied the same thing of episode seven um but um yeah i just don't think these characters the poe dameron's the fins and the rays are, are, are strong enough to uh to carry um the final part of this trilogy yeah certainly i mean as, as we said before the original plan was to have poe dameron killed off and then they changed their ideas on that I, I don't think there's a big problem with making it up as you go along to a certain extent because i think lucas he was kind of like that he'd put the foundations of his films down on paper in storyboards, but then he was well known for making decisions on set in the editorial suite and changing things 
at the last minute. Uh, the fam- most famous example being the title of episode six, um, which he changed even after the marketing campaign had begun. Yeah, but I think it's all right if you're a super talented genius who's working in that fashion. He can have that process, that methodology of working, because eight out of every 10 decisions he makes are correct. But when you've got like a corporate sort of producer, Hollywood type like Kathleen Kennedy, and then um, a bit of a wannabe like J.J. Abrams, and then a completely sort of uh un unproven in my opinion like ryan johnson and then you've got actors in there as well who they did okay in in uh, episode seven a couple of them but they didn't exactly uh, break the mold now those people if you if you're assuming they're making the right decision five out of every ten times the aggregate quality of what, what we're watching is going to come down i think that's what we're witnessing here um, now, how are they going to think on their feet now that poor Carrie Fisher's passed away? Uh, they probably haven't got a clue. And wh- whatever decision they make, it probably won't be a particularly good one. I mean, let's face it, the decision they made already to not have a single scene with the, th- the three principal characters from the original trilogy actually even sharing a scene together, for them to to, to kill that even before it had a chance to um, uh, exist, I mean, that shows you just how poor some of this decision making is i I know we've we've covered a lot of this ground in previous podcasts i won't go on about it too much but that's kind of what it reeks of yeah yeah absolutely absolutely agree with you um and it's funny you talk about um kathleen kennedy being the suit who just says the right things to the right audience because at the end of the day it's all about maximizing you know returns at the box office right so let's appease the fan base you know let's yeah let's appease the core fan base so another thing that she has said uh that's come out um is that so you know um people like i kind of joke about the bromance between um finn and poe dameron in episode seven yeah yeah i I, I thought they were going to kiss when they embraced actually uh uh uh, toward the end of episode uh, seven (laughs) well yeah joking aside you know some groups have campaigned for there to be a a gay couple in Star Wars and say, well, no, why not between Finn and Poe? Totally unnecessary, I think. I won't get into that, the politics of that, but, you know, um, some people have campaigned for it. But Kathleen Kennedy has actually gone one step further, and this is actually reported by a gay blog, funny enough, and um, she's gone one step further and actually confirmed that discussions have taken place about the same-sex romance in Star Wars. So she's a piece. Yeah, she's she's adding fuel to the fire. Basically, she's hint she's hinting at you know what people are alluding to with with Finn and Poe. It's definitely not going to happen. It's definitely not going to happen. There'll be too much of a backlash and and all that. It, it's not worth the trouble. However, she then sort of uh you know she 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 backtracks and she says, oh yes, we've talked about it. But I don't think you're going to see it in the upcoming film, The Last Jedi. Yeah, I think when you're um. Mate, when you're doing things which are quite progressive like that, like having gay characters who aren't necessarily really camp or or evil or, or something like that, I think that's good. Okay, because too often, like the gay character in a in a film has either been like a figure of like the the Chris Tucker character in Fifth Element. He was very very camp. Uh, I don't know if he was meant to be gay or bisexual or whatever, 
but he was basically the comic relief in, in that film. Mm. When you look at um, when you look at a movie like Diamonds Are Forever, those two hitmen, Mr. Kint and Mr. I can't remember the other one's name. Um, Crispin Glover's dad's one of them. Uh, um, John Glover, I think his name is. They're obviously a couple of gay hitmen. Yeah. Um, and then uh, even in like Miller's Crossing, which I watched a few weeks ago, like the big bad uh, assassin in that film, I think his name's Dutch. He's like a big six foot plus scary guy. He, he's gay and they, they make that obvious whenever i see stuff like that it always used to make me feel a bit uncomfortable i did used to think well why does that character have to be the kind of odd one out just because he's gay so i think it's good when they're being progressive um but what i don't like is when they um they do it in an insulting or dumb way like for example making uh, zulu gay in star trek um you know, even though we'd already seen he he's got a daughter who who turned up in Generations, I think, didn't she, at the start of that film? Yeah. Um, and then all of these geniuses, J.J. Abrams, Simon Pegg, no doubt, <laughs> whoever else was involved, they they made made Sulu gay. Okay, yeah, Star Wars had forked into another universe, onto another timeline, I guess, in those films. But that doesn't mean you should change a, a main character's sexuality. I think when it's done really intelligently. I mean, homosexuality has been handled in Star Trek, for example, the TV show, The Next Generation, really intelligently, and in Deep Space Nine. Um, that's when some of those franchises and TV shows, they're at their best. I think shoehorning these things in, in an insulting way, in a dumb way, um, it doesn't work for me. It, it really does come across as tokenistic. I mean, for example, the casting of, uh, is it Michelle Yeoh? Or, or Yeoh? Yeah. Uh, she um, is the captain of the Star Trek Discovery, the new TV show. Okay. Decisions like that are clearly made to, to make sure the TV show has some appeal in that territory in China. You can tell that these decisions are made by these Hollywood people in cynical ways. They're not done for the greater good. That's when it sort of gets my goat, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're, 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 they don't make artistic decisions anymore. It's just literally about you know it's, it's about the bottom line it's about, about returns serving, about serving a certain demographic or territory yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and and kathleen kennedy knows exactly what she's doing she knows full well that there is not going to be a gay romance between finn and poe it's not going to happen it's totally unnecessary for a movie like star wars for a franchise like star wars but you know what let's 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 keep te teasing the gay audience let's keep dangling that carrot and keep them on board because hey money and i just think it's really disgusting the way she does that and you're right it's pretty obvious the way she, she 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 does that sometimes but that's her job that is her job i suppose yeah it's a little bit like some of these uh son of a bitch politicians and anchor people the way they've jumped on top of um the horrible events uh, in manchester on monday mm. you had the idiot who leads ukip um trying to win political points by criticizing the current government. I know we're getting off track here, but let me. I'll just, I might as well finish now. I've started. Mm. <laughs> he was criticising uh, the incumbent government and Theresa May for the lack of troops and the lack of police on the streets, and and somehow relating the tragedy to that. Then you had, I think, Fox in America. The way they reacted to the news, they didn't even know who the perpetrator was at that point, and straight away they started jumping on top of immigration, um, immigration controls. Um, is this a failing? And I think they had Nigel Farage actually on the phone 
being being interviewed, even before they had the facts of what had happened and who had who had perpetrated it. He's a when, cor- he's a Fox News correspondent now. Nigel Farage is on the payroll. Is he right? I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. When you see people jumping onto something that's topical out of self-interest or for a commercial reason, which is exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about these producers, um, that really gets my go. It's like, why don't you, as you say, make an artistic decision where something really makes sense? Um, Yeah. I mean, they, they actually went the opposite way, didn't they, in Doctor Strange, where they changed a really important Eastern Oriental character into a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant woman with an English accent in <laughs> yep. Tilda Swinton. So they, they completely did it the wrong way there. You know, um, so, yeah, sometimes you, you, you wonder what they're thinking when they make these decisions. Indeed, indeed. So, Bronson, um, now let's talk about sort of movies we 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 been we've looked forward to and and have, and have arrived so we've got we're going to be talking about alien covenant we've been looking forward to that for a while we both you and i went to watch that um knowing that you're a big transformers fan is that movie out yet the next one the next sequel the the last night you're looking forward to that right i'm looking forward to it is that supposed to be a joke we actually saw a trailer for uh transformers the last night didn't we just before alien covenant um yeah that was very noisy it was i think as mark hamill said to was it the faculty the student body of cambridge or oxford i can't remember he he called the transformers movie and and michael bay cinema in general he called it the cinema of bewilderment where basically they throw so much at you you don't know what's going on on screen and you just sort of go or i think i'm supposed to be saying wow um the trailer looked like that that trailer gave me a headache it really did it was all over the place was I'll, I'll give michael bay this though okay i don't I, i've criticized him so much he does have a fantastic sense of scale when when you when you've got to show something big on cinema screen he knows how to give you a sense of scale a lot of filmmakers don't he does he he does make you go like wow that's actually that's huge but then straight away like the next moment where you're supposed to be thinking something something else that that's when he normally botches it um yeah, the fantastic sense of scale, that trailer, that's about the only good thing I could say about it. Um, yeah, you know my feelings on, on Bayformers, as some Transformers fans, purists call them. Uh, I'm not a fan of Bayformers. And uh, yeah, there's there's a few things going on in the Transformers universe. I think uh, any of our listeners who are, who are fans will pro- no doubt already know that I think in, very recently the official Transformers convention uh which used to be called botcon that was um i think hasbro dropped their official licensing their official backing for that convention they've actually they're trying to amalgamate all of their properties into one universe almost um so instead of botcon you're now going to have hascon so hasbro organizing a huge convention where you can look at gi joe or action force as we know it in the uk uh, gi joe my Little Pony, Transformers, who knows, maybe even Nerf and Monopoly. Uh, you can uh, <laughs> you can sort of um, go and celebrate all of those now at the same convention. And, and I think quite clearly what's going on there is they're trying to ape the success that Disney are having. Disney really cleverly expanded the Marvel Universe, although certainly funded the way that's being done. And it's, it's hugely successful, of course, not just the films, but with the cartoons and the, 
the toys and the TV shows on Netflix and things like that. They've really created a universe here where they can effortlessly have characters from one franchise, one movie popping into another. I think they want to kind of do that, Hasbro, because last year, I don't know if you saw this, there was a, a famous comic series that was released called Revolution, where you had G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mask, and, and one or two other franchises all in the same storyline. No, I wasn't aware of that. So, yeah, and which was cool. I mean, I, I got a lovely, nerdy, nostalgic pang out of that. But I didn't buy the comics. I'm not a big enough fan to do that. Um, but I think that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to create a Hasbro universe now. Um, so I think the rumors that uh, Disney want to buy the Transformers franchise, I think that was in the press a couple of weeks ago. That's probably apocryphal. I don't think that's going to happen um, because I think Hasbro have got their own ideas. They've clearly... Again, it's executives at Hasbro. They've looked at what Disney are doing and they thought, well, me, me, me. I want that as well. Let's let's create a big universe of multiple properties where they all interlink. I think that's what they're trying to do. So, so they, that, they can pull that off. They can really create a shared universe between all those things. Isn't that, you know, a bit of a disservice to those uh, individual franchises? Or You kind of can't because you can't have My Little Pony characters turning up in Transformers, for example, obviously. Well, yeah. Um, you, you, to be fair, you had the Archies turning up in the, some Avengers comics, so you know, stranger things have happened. Well, there's been loads of uh, funny um, crossovers in the, the comic book universe, but a lot of those you can take them as one-offs and nostalgia. Um, you make a fair point. You make a good point, but um, no. I mean, look. First of all, they've got to make sure they got the they get the Transformers franchise cinematically they need to make sure they get it right they need to get the gi joe cinematic uh franchise right before they even think of a crossover and as far as i'm concerned they've kind of botched both of those even though transformers has financially been big um i mean are they going to somehow try and bring mask back as a tv show as a, as a, as a movie franchise and, and, and toys are they going to do that is mask big enough is the brand awareness for it big enough um you know yeah. i think they, they'll build it up again yeah, I can see them doing that. In fact, they they can try, but then again, ironically, Mask was a case of Hasbro executives saying, "Well, what's the next thing that we should invent?" And they said, "Well, why don't we take GI Joe, which is three and three quarter inch figures in vehicles, but we'll put them into transforming vehicles. You know, we'll crossbreed it with Transformers. That's what Mask is. So, if you've got Transformers, GI Joe, and Mask." and you want to bring them all into the same universe, that's like, no, I don't think that's rich enough. I don't think that's that's going to work. Um, so I think they might be, they might have adopted the wrong strategy here. Um, they should just concentrate on getting each franchise in its own right, right, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. So what is the, uh, so these things have been sort of joined together in terms of, the, conven the conventions that they each separately had. Um, so what 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 does the fan base uh, out there think of uh, Hasbro's decision to do that? I think they're pretty fed up. I think Transformers, like hardcore Transformers fans, are um, quite hardcore. I think it's only Star Wars and possibly Batman, which is bigger than Transformers when it comes to the whole merchandising and the fan base and everything. Um, I mean, they're huge everywhere, Europe, North America, Asia, obviously Japan, China, places like that, Australia, Australasia as well. And, and generally, the North American fans aren't happy. Um, you know, they're like Transformers is 
as you just said, it's a big enough thing that it deserves its own official convention. Um, but but even beyond that, I don't think the communication between Hasbro and the fans has been particularly open. Um, they haven't explained to the fan base what Hascon is going to have, what it's going to actually be, and what they can expect from it. Um, uh, if they um, if that's because they don't know themselves, they haven't already written down an itinerary or a plan. If that's the case, then God help them. But uh, I can see this being a bit of a flop, and they would probably have to reintroduce some kind of Transformers convention. Because if they don't, I think the hardcore fans will organise one themselves, even if they haven't got Hasbro's backing, because they've they've done that plenty of times in the past, out even outside of North America. Okay. Right. So on to the next subject, Bronson. Um, the last time we spoke, certainly last time we spoke on air, we were looking forward to Alien Covenant, and and we were discussing you know, what to, what we think we might expect from the movie. And um, we were discussing, obviously, Prometheus. Prometheus b- being the uh, the prequel to Alien Covenant, or rather Alien Covenant being the sequel to Prometheus. Um, so we both went to see it. We both went to see it. So, you know, um, what I did was I, I decided after our last conversation to go and re-explore Prometheus because I, as I said to you at the time that I had only watched it once and that was the time we initially saw it at the cinema and I wasn't really compelled to watch it again. So I, I you know, I, I made some time and I, and I watched it again at home and I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I did the first time around, I think. And it made me look forward to Alien Covenant a lot more than I had been before. Yeah, you know, I'm... I'm... As you know, I'm a big fan of Prometheus, and um, I was a little bit disappointed by it at the cinema, but I was certainly happy to watch it again. And the second time, I liked it even more. Third time, I liked it even more. It's got to a point now where I I, I really enjoy it. It's like uh, Tarantino said on some talk show, I remember. He's actually praising Prometheus. He said, uh, for all its flaws and everything, um, it's just really cool to have a big Hollywood production out there, which explores those ideas you know i mean it's like uh, tarantino said on some talk show i remember he, he was praising it he, he he even he said that the film prometheus even though it had a few dumb moments in it it's it was nice to have a big hollywood movie like that with so many intellectual ideas in it um you know we should we should feel lucky that we were given a film like that you know um for, for all its flaws at least it wasn't a shallow dumb big loud piece of crap produced by Hollywood actually so it was probably chock full of too many ideas um so I was disappointed in it when I saw it but I've come come to really kind of like it a lot Prometheus and I was uh I mean just to sort of remind everybody where it ended uh you basically had uh, uh, the fast bender character David the android uh without his body uh, um right from his body but the Dr Elizabeth Shaw she made, made sure she grabbed both both, both parts of him and uh, they both flew off in that, that engineer's spaceship to find engineers so yeah we, we were looking forward to, to be but then obviously it's called alien covenant and when you look at all of the promotion for the film all the posters and everything the font the word alien is huge and the covenant bit is kind of hidden and small isn't it so i think it's obvious from a marketing point of view, uh, what they were thinking, they were just trying to recapture that nostalgia market again, you know, like, like so many franchises have done recently. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so Prometheus, I thought, asked some, or certainly Ridley Scott, 
through directing Prometheus asked some pretty big questions. Um, questions about humanity, who we are, where we came from. And obviously we found out that we, we, we came from the, uh, the, the engineers of whatever race of aliens those, 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 those people are. And we came from them. And for some reason they wanted to, they, they regretted their creation and they wanted to just destroy us. That's basically what we learned in Prometheus. And we follow, and so, so we follow the journey of um, Elizabeth Shaw and, and she, she's asking these questions and she wants to get to the bottom of this. And she wants to find out by the end of the movie, well, what made them change their mind? Yeah. So we're following her on this journey and that yeah. sets us up nicely for this sequel. It sets us up nicely for this sequel, but it's, as if, and I, well, I say as if, I know it for a fact, that Ridley Scott abandoned all of these big ideas. All these big questions, all these big ideas were completely abandoned to give us in Alien Covenant what was pretty much a formulaic, by the numbers, alien movie. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it. It was a great sci-fi slash horror flick. It was it was a great film to, to enjoy in the cinema, but... I felt a little bit disappointed that the big, the big ideas were abandoned. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, with Prometheus, we wanted a prequel to Alien, didn't we? And uh, they gave us something else. And we were like, well, okay, we can try and fall in love with this film now, which a lot of people did, Prometheus. Um, and now we wanted a Prometheus sequel and he's given us an Alien prequel. And um, yeah, it's kind of funny the way that's, worked out and yeah i can't lie i was disappointed um in alien covenant and exactly as you said there it's got kind of all the staples you probably want from an alien film but i think it's um it's a little bit beneath ridley scott for him to just go back to basics i'd expect a lesser filmmaker to have made a film like that um there are still some interesting intellectual things especially when they go to that um citadel or whatever that building where David is holed up and there, there is a sequence where we get a bunch of things going on, even if his relationship with Walter is a little bit like data and law out of Star Trek, the next generation. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, overall disappointed. And, and I had a lot of questions which hadn't been answered about the engineers, about how Elizabeth Shaw died, about how David was experimenting on her uh, in order to create the aliens. You know, is she the original alien queen? Did he harvest her DNA somehow to create them, to create those eggs? There's so many questions. And, uh, you know, I get, get the feeling that he's a lot of those questions that we want answered. He, he has abandoned them. That we can't, we shouldn't expect answers to them in subsequent films because I think we're not going to get them. So from that point of view, very disappointed. Well, he's actually admitted it. Ridley Scott has admitted that he basically uh, changed the direction of what he had planned for these series of prequels to Alien. Um, so I'm, I'm, so basically, Prometheus wasn't didn't I don't know how well it did financially the box office, but it didn't do very well uh, in terms of how it was embraced by moviegoers by the fan base. Basically, they didn't like it because it was perhaps a little bit too intellectual because it perhaps was a little bit there was little, there was less of you know the the horror the sci-fi horror in space and it was more about uh, yeah and, and there was very little of the xenomorph yeah exactly and that's the specific reason why ridley scott 
has changed his mind because he says, and I'm quoting him here, he says, it's referring to Prometheus, it went straight up there and we discovered from it that the fans were really frustrated. They wanted to see more of the original monster and I thought he was definitely cooked with an orange in his mouth. So I thought, wow, okay, I'm wrong. So he admits that he didn't want to sort of retread what's been done before with Alien. He wanted to explore new things, new ideas, new monsters, whatever. Um, but then he goes on to say the fans have the final word, you know. The fans are the final word. And you have to just basically admit to when you're wrong as a filmmaker. So, I'm by that. yeah, I'm disappointed too by that. Yeah, I mean, the stars of Prometheus really were the engineers. I mean, we always wondered what was under that suit, the space jockey from Alien. And I was delighted with the answer. You know, seeing those guys, the engineers, um, everything about them, the design, the motivations, their behavior. And I wanted to know more about them. And all of a sudden, he ditched them, basically, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just makes... and. It really does. Watch, watch an Alien Covenant and how it kind of just very, um, in a very sort of slapdash way, tries to tie up any loose ends from Prometheus in a very, you know, in a far too quick manner. Um, it, it, it renders actually um, Prometheus redundant. It's po completely pointless. And so now we're in a situation where the events of the first of this movie of this, it's going to be a trilogy of prequels to Alien doesn't mean a thing in actual fact the only thing it really does is introduce us to david yeah yeah i mean it almost feels like that we're going to have a bunch of movies leading up to alien where david is going to be the center the center of it um and he's a psycho so so i mean, talk about an anti-hero uh it would it would have made a lot more sense i know it's a bit of a retread of ripley but it would have made a lot more sense to have uh Dr. Elizabeth Shaw, because obviously Ripley wasn't a scientist, was she? Um, uh, she was basically a trucker, wasn't she, in space, as Ridley yep. Scott says. So if we had had, like, a scientist who also happens to be quite religious, who has lost, you know, the love of her life in Prometheus, to see her go on a journey would have been great. And when we saw those scenes that were released um, before Alien Covenant came out, where you see um, Shaw reattaching David's head... Oh, the prologue, and yeah. Yeah, it, it was great. I was like, wow, do you know what? If they could just extend that for two hours, I'd love Alien Covenant, if that's what Alien Covenant's going to be. But yeah, they, um, they, they, having built myself up, having fallen in love with Prometheus, then I got my hopes dashed. And um, I mean, to see, I know it's grotesque and horrible anyway. When we see Elizabeth Shaw's uh, cadaver and it's been experimented on and everything, and you see... Uh, it almost looks like her reproductive organs have been removed to go and cultivate those uh, those eggs out of which the facehuggers pop. When you see that, it's so throwaway, it's so flippantly done, it's so horrible that it really is horrific in a way that they probably didn't anticipate because we've invested so much in that character right through into that prologue that we just mentioned. And then all we see of her in this new film is... You know, her um, decayed body lying on a slab with her innards having been removed. I mean, exactly. Jesus, isn't it? Treating your, your hero or your heroine like that. I mean, what is that all about? It's almost suspicious the way they dispose of that character so quickly. Um, it makes you wonder whether something else was going on behind the scenes. I don't know. Um, but um, it, it's, it's a real shame. And 
you know, parts of Alien Covenant just smack of a uh, stink of studio interference, I should say. Um, so we know that studio wasn't willing to take much of a risk with this one after the performance of Prometheus. And I think interference, call it feedback from the fans, whatever, changed the direction that Ridley Scott was going to go anyway. Um, I learned something the other day. I learned that the budget for um, Alien Covenant is actually 30 million less than Prometheus. So that explains the CG that you had a problem with, <laughs> the bad CG. I I noticed this, mate. I noticed that it had a re- reported budget of about about ninety five million dollars or something, mm. and two hundred million these days. It really shows you the lack of confidence, doesn't it? Yeah, complete lack of in, confidence uh, in the. Prometheus sequel and, um, and they were even kind of aping the iconography of Alien and um, yeah you're, you're exactly right it does smack of uh, massive sort of interference doesn't it by the accountants and um, you can you can see it in other areas too like um, I mean there's just silly little things regarding regarding the plot I mean but first of all actually let, why, why don't we backtrack a little bit what did you make of the movie what did you make of in terms of the story that was being told Okay, the the story was standard, wasn't it? It was very, very, very standard. The final twist was telegraphed. We all knew what was going to happen there, where Walter turns out to be David. Um, it was a delight to see David and how he has evolved. That was good. Fassbender was magnificent in both roles. Yep. Um, the uh, there are two or three brilliant scenes. Like when the the Jewish lady, where she gets attacked by the neomorph or protomorph or whatever it's called, and then David sort of tries to communicate with it before Billy Crudup shoots it. That was, I think, that whole sequence was brilliant. Um, the fact that is that when he gets upset, film, when he gets upset, and he said that he trusted me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. yeah. And um, I think the sequence where for about. For a lot of the opening of the film, the first act, it's very slow and placid and building up. And then all of a sudden, when they land on that planet, Paradise, and then two of those guys get affected, and then the alien comes out of one of their backs uh, and, and out of the chest, I think, of the other one. That whole sequence, the way the whole pace and the tension gets all ratcheted up, and then you get the viscera and the gore, that was all classic. That was brilliant, and the ship blows up. The idea of having those creatures attacking those humans in the fields, outdoors, that was new. The imagery, yeah, yeah. Ridley Scott's doing something new there. You know, he's not just like uh, restaging the Moss Eisley scene, but having it in Maz Kanata's castle. You know, he's actually going <laughs> for a, he's going for a different kind of environment and a different approach to a sim to a scene that we're all familiar with. So there is inspiration in that film. There are, but you'd expect that because Ridley Scott's a genius. You'd expect there to be half a dozen brilliant scenes. Um, and oh, and the other one I really liked is when the thing bursts out of Billy Crudup's chest and then David sort of sitting there communicating with it by lifting his arms and stuff. Uh, ingenious. But mm, it's still a, a highly imperfect, disappointing film with about half a dozen good scenes in it for me. And uh, I, I, was, I walked out of it disappointed, but I know that I, when I watch it again um, on TV or whatever, I'll enjoy it. When I'm sitting in the comfort of my living room watching it with the lights off and jumping or whatever at the suspense bits and the violence... And just just re going through it again because I can settle for the fact now that it's a substandard film in most ways, 
but I can try and fall in love with it. There's enough in there. It's a Ridley Scott film. It's an alien film. Um, but yeah, just what you just said there about the CG, um, I don't know if they had different production companies working on the effects. The effects for the creatures were brilliant. The effects for the spaceship, uh, the Covenant, and the, the smaller ship that lands on a planet, those effects are absolutely terrible to mm. the point where I, I know it wasn't shot in IMAX format and we watched it at, at, at an IMAX cinema. Yeah. I, I, I could almost see the pixelization on the picture in certain shots. I don't think it's an IMAX thing, by the way, because I've actually heard that same complaint from other people now who have seen it in a, on a standard, you know, standard screen. Yeah, they've said the same thing. Oh, oh they've seen it in a standard screen, not yeah. on, on IMAX. Yeah. And they, yeah. and they yeah. still saw those shortcomings. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's incredible, considering $95 million have been lavished on this, and it's Ridley Scott, who usually is supposed to be anal to the point of insanity in terms of the, the attention to detail on his compositions so for them to get that so badly wrong is, is a shocker i was really sitting there watching those sequences thinking wow this is budget what has happened here and and that's that was hard to take yeah it's a shame it's a shame but i mean you know i don't bag the movie too much it wasn't as a standalone movie it was pretty enjoyable um so talking about the, the movie and, and, and the story that's been told. So obviously one of the big themes in, in, in Alien Covenant is that of um, creation. And we see um, David's obsession with creating something of his own. And, um, you know, him being an artificial life form and all of that. And, and it's implied that um, David created the alien egg with the face huggers and, and that we're accustomed to is that is that correct is that your impression i think so yeah and i i even think ridley scott pretty much admitted that that's what he was getting at in in an interview yeah but didn't we see eggs in prometheus we certainly saw a face hugger in prometheus we didn't see no no we didn't we um we saw we, a face hugger attack the engineer at the end yeah but that if you remember was so some of the black pathogen had been put in the drink of that idiot who took his helmet off on the planet. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Shaw's boyfriend. So he ingested it orally. He then had sex with Elizabeth Shaw. She got pregnant. The, the, the um, wormy kind of octopus kind of thing that she took out of herself in the Medipod or whatever it was called, um, that then gestated and expanded and grew up into that huge face hugger. So it was like... Um, it's a proto face hugger, if you like, but we didn't see any eggs. We it was those those vials that contained the pathogens. They were arranged in a formation in that room where it almost was supposed to be reminiscent of the eggs in the chamber in the original film, wasn't it? Right. So basically, Alien Covenant is suggesting that, well, through the eggs and and, and whatever, and what we know about about the alien life form, that David essentially created the xenomorphs. Is that correct? Pretty much, yeah. Remember, he said something like, I've created the perfect life form. Yes, he did say that. that. Yeah, more than once, in fact, yeah. Yeah, and that echoes um, what Ian Holm said, where someone says to him in the, the original movie, you admire it, don't you? I think Jaffet Kota says that. And then yeah. Ian Holm goes, I admire its purity or something. Um, but then the other slightly puzzling thing is, I mean, that the xenomorph pretty much looks like Giga's xenomorph. 
gig as Alien in, in Alien Covenant. But yes. I also heard in Ridley in a Ridley Scott interview him saying that it's not quite there yet. That it's still and they're still going to evolve to the final thing. That puzzled me when I heard that. Hmm. So again, I'm I'm, I'm sensing inconsistencies here because i'm pretty sure that we saw in prometheus holographic recordings of the engineers being chased by something and 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 and, and xenomorphs and perhaps and and things bursting out their stomachs and but do we see that we saw this in prometheus right yeah we saw the engineers being chased down a corridor didn't we certainly by something we, we i guess we had assumed it was those xenomorphs we also saw a pile of engineer carcasses, remember? Yeah. When um, those two guys are wandering around the ship by themselves. Um, I guess everyone in the cinema assumed that it was the xenomorphs who had done that damage. Um, but I guess what we have to assume is that maybe that black goo got loose and infected some of the engineers, turned them into those monsters that Fifield becomes, remember? Um, and he yeah. turns up inside the ship. Uh, and likes rocks. Just got to... <laughs> yeah, but then you've got to ask the question, when David uh, spills all the pathogen on the engineers in Alien Covenant in that flashback, um, uh, why didn't they all turn into psychos? They just sort of, it almost looked like the the, the, the lava that or the, the hot ash that fell on the humans uh, when, is it Pompeii? Um, mm. uh, erupted, and, and they got frozen, didn't they? Well, perfectly preserved, the carcasses were perfectly preserved inside the ash that's kind of i think what that imagery was supposed to echo but that makes no sense at all <laughs> so uh that, yeah, that scene that scene actually I, and, and i totally agree with you but i just think it was just a case of get it over and done with quickly it's almost like you know what we want to leave all this stuff that we introduced in prometheus all this stuff about the engineers and creation and all of these things leave it far behind get it out of the way and continue yeah. With, yeah and, and that's what it felt like and it's a real shame unfortunately yeah i mean it just leaves so many questions you, you see the engineers at the start of prometheus when they're actually seeding all of life i guess not just humanity but all of life on earth uh where that guy drinks that something the pathogen and then he, he disintegrates and falls into the water right those engineers they kind of have a certain look to them the ones that died in alien covenant they look different so are they supposed to have evolved over millions of years that's why they look different um now if that's the case then why why were they dressed like extras from star trek the next generation they were wearing all these kind of uh, <laughs> these really standard sci-fi outfits and and they looked like they were in a primitive society um with adobe kind of buildings and uh no technology then having said that in that flashback, when David's ship arrives, there's another ship floating above the engineer's um, sort of uh, village or city or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So there's been so many questions provoked now that if they are trying to sweep it all under the carpet and move on onto an alien franchise, they've done such a half-assed job of it. It just makes me angry. I'm wondering, actually, whether there's a nice director's cut of this movie that will answer most of our questions, that they'll probably be permitted to release when it comes to, uh, you know, when it's done its run in, 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 at the box office and it's time for Blu-ray. I think even that is um, optimistic of you to think that. I, I, I think you're giving them far too much benefit of the doubt there. Um, 
I just I just think that you're right. They've ditched it. Hmm. I mean, uh, so thinking about so think about this movie and its characters. So the star was definitely uh, Michael Fassbender in both in both roles. In terms of the crew on the Covenant, they are all pretty much um, dispensable, aren't they? I can't remember anyone apart from Daniels, which is our basically our Ripley in this. Um, the uh, the other guy, the guy survives at the end, that Tennessee guy, and perhaps um, um, the uh, the captain, the reluctant captain, the bumbling reluctant captain. That's about it. It's the only ones I remember. Yeah, and uh, he survived, didn't he, Billy Crudup? Um, no, he didn't. Oh, uh, no, sorry. Danny sorry, McBride, who played Tennessee, survived. Billy, yeah, Billy Crudup didn't survive. He, he, um, he well, you remember, oh, well, he got killed in the most stupid way possible, you know. I know. Yeah, I mentioned it earlier, so yeah, sorry, that's a bit of a misstep by me. So Dave, David lures him into his little, his little den, doesn't he? And he's like, oh, come and see what I've got. Oh, it's an, it's an alien egg. Come look closely. I assure you it's safe. So he pretty much goes and you know, has a nose around and then... It, it is yeah. silly, but I can see a slightly gullible person having their curiosity get the better of them. So I don't think it was completely implausible, that scene. Mm, it was one of many dumb scenes in the movie to be fair i mean there are plenty of other ones as well um that couple oh gosh no it's full of couples on on, on the ship so you know you know what i'm talking about um the the interracial couple let's say not the captain the other two who decide yeah. to who decide to get it on in a hot and steamy session in the shower just after their friends have died that's a little bit unrealistic and there's a little bit of a cheap horror film setup just for the absolutely. sake of having yeah absolutely um and another silly thing which again smacks of studio interference did you did you notice and it's very very subtly hinted at the gay couple i noticed them in one of those prologue videos they showed them in in that um and it's a video where you actually see james franco addressing the crew before they go into their cryogenic sleep yeah and uh, you see the gay couple sort of the, they're at they're at a table and they're all the whole crew's talking and they're sort of by their body language it's obvious. So that, I think that's cool. Well, it's I've cool. No with that. I've got no problem with it apart from the fact it's dumb. And I'll tell you why it's dumb. So you've got um, a crew of mainly couples, yeah, on right. a uh, colonization mission, yeah, and you have a gay couple. Yeah, but you could just say it's the future and they've got the technology to harvest both of their DNA to create um, an embryo, which they are both fathers of. I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the future, right? You, you could say that, and I haven't got a problem with it, but I've got a problem of, again, studios just, just, just shoehorning things in for the sake of it, even that they're completely implausible in terms of what's going on. In, in, in there's no there's no doubt there's no doubt that that was one of those ones where the studio have probably had a checklist and they've said right you know we can't alienate this part of the audience no pun intended um so i've got the gay characters in there tick yeah that one that one works and, and ridley scott's probably kind of like all right i'll put them in the prologue but you won't really see much of them interacting in the film which is pretty much what happens right <laughs> exactly what happens yeah um and the biggest most stupidest decision of all, and you've mentioned it already, um, is is basically killing off um, Elizabeth Shaw. Pointless. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, uh, one, there is one good decision which I should uh, I should give uh, Ridley a lot of credit for. Um, usually, when I'm watching uh, a film with James Franco in it, whether it's uh, the interview, is that the one that made that pissed off North Korea? Oh yes, that uh, one. Yeah, him and Seth. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Whether it's Spider Man, whether it's the one where he goes on spring break with those girls, I didn't watch the whole movie. I saw clips of it. He he just irritates me a little bit. <laughs> I don't know why. I just look at him and like some of those movies where he's prattling around as Seth Rogen, and I was like, I'm usually like, oh, I'm not James Bloody Franco again. Who made him a film star? Um, the fact <laughs> the fact that he he dies before he even has like a, a scene in this film. That that's evidence right there that Ridley Scott still got the genius touch, still got the Midas touch. There you go. He's the first one to die, wasn't he? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so he get out of cryogenic sleep, and Ridley said, "Right, let's uh, let's uh, set this guy alight." He actually catches fire inside his uh, pod, which which was actually quite a, a, a good image, wasn't it? It's suffocating in your sleep. It, you know, it's quite tragic, obviously, the way they do it. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good scene. That was a good scene. Yeah um so i'm just thinking now so so where's this this franchise going to go what's going to happen next so basically the end of it so actually i want to ask you a question first of all so the 2000 plus colonists who were on the um on on you on, on the covenant were they still in sleep yeah i guess they're in cryogenic sleep because they're not embryos are they who no no no, no not the embryos no. they're, they're fully grown people aren't they right so it was so... only the the the, the main crew yeah, the that crew were, were awakened during the emergency, and they obviously did what they need to do with the planet. And they, they, you know, they, um, well, those who survived, the two who survived, went back on board. So they're still, in, they're still, they're still in deep sleep. I guess so. I guess, I guess the crew's the crew, and then the rest of the people are the cargo. Um, okay. in this colonization project, I, I guess. But um, the, so the lady who plays Daniels, by the way, I thought she was pretty good. Yeah, she's a good actress. I I think you know her from Boardwalk Empire, but I I, I can't remember seeing her anywhere. Um, good good actress, quite cute as well, actually. If you ask me, um, she uh, no no Sigourney Weaver, um, but again, you just don't know now, are they? Are, are they going to make her the main character in all these subsequent films? Is she going to go through a journey and survive, or is it going to be J David's journey? Or do they just not know what they're doing? You know what? Yeah, she's from Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> Sorry, I was just I was just, I was just looking at a picture of her right now. She is. She played um, Richard Harrow's wife. Yeah, I remember. But her hair was long, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And we'll get to Boardwalk Empire. But yeah, she's no Sigourney Weaver. She's going to be the main <clears throat> um, character, probably, or they'll probably kill her off quickly and then rinse and repeat like they've done before. I don't know. Um, I, I think, um, well, they've got, potentially 2000 characters to play with they're still in sleep so you know you could kill them off and there could be some sort of uh insurrection on board and to, to take control over the uh over, over the uh the, the spacecraft after david's it's got to be the most downbeat um pessimistic horrible ending to any of the alien movies even the bad ones when you look at the the ones that uh Paul Thomas Anderson, is that his name? I've got the wrong guy. Or Paul Anderson, the guy who made Alien Movie Predator. Or, or even Alien 4, which was Alien Poor, if you ask me. Um, or, or the Fincher one. Uh, all of them still kind of had uplifting things in the endings, even Prometheus. But this one was a real... It was almost... It was almost tongue-in-cheek, no yeah. Scott. 
yeah, wasn't no, it? It was almost yeah. like just two fingers up at you. Uh, you. Just make sure you come back for the next film to see what happens, sort of thing. And it's almost like almost a little bit like Hannibal, wasn't it? Like um, David walking off with classical music playing on the uh, the speakers, uh, and uh, yeah, it's like, a little bit silly. Yeah, it, it it was a bit silly, and um, you know, I I was always almost expecting Fassbender to look towards the camera, wink and laugh evilly. I don't know, um, but it I don't know. Will there be another one? Don't be so sure because it's not doing well. Alien Covenant, it's not doing well at all. Apparently, it is on course to earn less, certainly domestically in the USA, than uh, Prometheus. Yeah, I, I did notice it didn't make massive money. So if that's how it's going to track, um, then, yeah, we might not get another movie. And um, I I wonder if they'd made a straight sequel to Prometheus, would that have made more money? Possibly not. But, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's sad that it might that, that films like this, as much as we're criticizing it, it's still got a bunch of ideas in it where... It's a failure, but I'm prepared to watch this film again, maybe a few more times, like I did with Prometheus. Because a film with this many original and interesting ideas in it and interesting imagery, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. Whereas, you know, Fast and Furious Part 8, I don't even want to watch that once, let alone twice. So, so it's, it's a crying shame, but I guess that's what commercial mainstream cinema is these days. Um, oh, can I just say, by the way, do you know, I have criticised, for example, in the past, more is criticizing is it um ryan gosling yep sort of calling him limited charlie hunnam i think i i criticized him a moment ago and there are a lot of uh, leading men out there who i just i just look at and i think how has this guy become a movie star jude jude law to a certain extent i mean gerard butler almost looks like his tongue's too big for his mouth sometimes when you see him talking how did he have a bunch of movies where he was a leading man there's a lot of Actors like that who uh, mystify me, how how are they making it in Hollywood? Fassbender, he is head and shoulders the best actor out of all the leading actors in Hollywood, actors and actresses right now out there. I've got to say that. He is so good. He's so intense, talented, unflinching. Um, you can't take your eyes off him. You know, he's flawed. I guess women find him attractive. Um, you know, he. I'm, I'm told he's got sex appeal. I'll take, <laughs> I'll take their word for that one. Um, he's he's a little bit of a rogue. He's got like an Irish accent, hasn't he? When you when you hear him in interviews, he, yeah, in interviews, he, yeah, yeah. He looks like he could just just as easily get drunk like a Richard Harris or an Oliver Reed and just start swearing at people. He's got a little bit of everything. He's a bona fide movie star. He is. He is. Um, yeah. I, I, Everything I've seen him in, actually, he's been he's been brilliant. He has been brilliant, and this was his this was his movie, to be fair. And it, the way they're going, it seems like it's going to be his franchise. Um, so we're expecting one more sequel, aren't we? I think really Scott said it could keep on going, but it's not going to happen. We'll probably get we'll probably get one more. That was the original plan, wasn't it? A trilogy. Well, if it's going to have uh, visual effects for the spaceships, like what we've just seen then i hope they don't make another one because those effects are so bad i mean it's the kind of thing you'd expect to see in like farscape or stargate on tv it's like what is that did they not have enough powerful processing power on their computer when they rendered that effect i mean why does it look so bad 
<laughs> ran out of money. I don't know. It seems like um, so it's had a mixed reaction. I think um, the movie in terms from from the critics, um, very mixed actually. Some say it's brilliant, and others say it's complete rubbish. I think I think one one stood out in mind to me when they said that it is the it is the sequel no one wants to see to the prequel no one wanted to see, which is a bit harsh. Um, it's not entirely untrue that actually that comment, you know, whenever you see a poster and it's got loads of stars all over it, you usually have to look at the little byline and usually when you see a, a questionable film and it's got four or five stars, you look carefully at the byline. It's like some inconsequential website or, or some terrible, terrible gossip magazine that's given it four or five stars. Um, well, so famously, you, do you remember Jonathan from Ross that said Batman Forever is the greatest film ever made? Yeah, <laughs> and they yeah. use that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's it's on the uh, actually. I think I've got that line around right here in the room that I'm sitting in somewhere. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, I think he that was a review he did for the Sun at the time, wasn't it? And the less said about that paper, the better. Dirty rag. I wouldn't even wipe my bum with the Sun. Um, but. Um, yeah, there was a poster for Alien Covenant where it had five stars, five stars, five stars. I looked closely and it was The Telegraph and The Guardian and one other. And and film critics who I've read the work of previously, you know, critics you would hope know what they're talking about. So when I saw that, I thought, oh, okay, this looks like it's going to deliver. Um, so they saw things in it that they liked, you know, and um, they've probably seen more films than I have. So you've got to take their opinion with certain amount of credibility but um i have to say if i was going to give it anything out of 10 it'd be maybe maybe about seven out of ten maybe a little bit more um disappointed overall yeah but particularly broke my heart considering that the duelists blade runner alien black rain and gladiator those movies here are some of the most beautiful to look at films ever made oh yeah yeah the Duelists and Blade Runner, for example, they're good looking to the point where it makes your eyes hurt. You know, it's, they are so beautiful to look at. And then you you get a film like this where they've clearly given the production, the, the special effects company doing the effects for the creatures, they've given them a big budget. And then the other company they've employed to do the spaceships have obviously given them a tiny fraction of that and said, here, work with this. That breaks my heart. And I don't know if Ridley Scott had his hands tied behind his back. Um, in terms of, you know, because the budget was only 95 million or whatever. I mean, what can you get these days for that, right? Um, well, it's definitely less than you would expect for a, a film like that. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, hopefully, we'll get a sequel. Uh, hopefully, Ridley Scott won't play it too safe. And, I mean, and, you know, um, answer the questions that were sort of asked in the first movie and maybe re-explore some of those issues but i don't think that will happen but um i reckon so what do you think is happening the next one i think it'll take us to um lv426 don't you think that's where they're gonna end up isn't it and that's where it will tie in nicely to alien and what have you that's what he yeah. says yeah they're gonna somehow do that but then i suppose the engineers have to come back into it at some point because that ship was one of the engineers' ship, that kind of donut with the bite taken out of it. That's but why I brought it up because that gives us some hope that actually 
you know what? Maybe these things haven't been completely abandoned, but who knows? Oh, no, I really don't think we're thinking that far ahead. I think it's going to be a case of, oh, crikey, we need to bring that ship back in and bring the engineers back in. I think it's going to be more a case of that rather than right entrance stage left the engineers. This was always meant to be the case. I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. And like I said, that, that was such a good creation. I mean, it, it was the kind of des- inspired design. I think the way they looked, because they all looked basically identical, didn't they? It was based on Statue of Liberty's face, Elvis's face. Um, uh, is it Michelangelo's David, the statue? Yep. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I remember reading about the, the design of the engineers and just looking at the inspirations and, and how they turned out and how they relate to humanity. It was just so such a good creation. They were, for me, the star value from Prometheus. So if we ain't going to see them again, it's a crying shame. Oh, do you know what? Before we wrap up, uh, it might just be worth mentioning it's completely unrelated to anything else we've talked about. Um, the other day, I was driving past Toys R Us. I thought, okay, I might as well pop in and have a look at the uh, the Transformers toys that have released for the new Michael Bay movie. So I popped in there to have a quick look. I had nothing better to do. And uh, do you remember Playmobil? Yeah. Yeah. Right, so we all know Playmobil, pretty kind of lame, babyish toys, weren't they, from back in the day? Uh, we all probably played with them at that nursery or play school or whatever. They've got a range of Ghostbusters Playmobil toys. And I couldn't believe it. You can get all the original characters. You can get Janine, Slimer. You can get Ecto-1 and the Firehouse. And you know the size of a Playmobil figure. They're all done to that scale. Really? That's brand new. They, didn't have that. they never had that in the 80s or whenever. Not, not at all. I think what's clearly happened, uh, again, the accountants who, at that toy company, they've looked at what Lego were doing. The amount of money Lego make from the franchises with, with Batman, with well, with all franchises, let's face it, Batman, Star Wars, even Ghostbusters, you know, all the different, uh, you know, Harry Potter, all, you can get Lego in all those themes of in all the, the guys of all those franchises, can't you? I'm sure Playmobil, I think, are doing something similar now, and this might have been the first, or one of the first sort of results of it. But I, it's worth mentioning, because I, I saw it, and I just couldn't believe it. I was like, this is really cool. The packaging looked good, and I really wanted to buy the Ecto-1. <laughs> Did you, what was the price like? Because you know these Lego ones are, are quite expensive, and you know, they're purely, purely for collectors. These Playmobil, I'd imagine them all for kids to actually play with. So how much were they? Did you ever look? Or? Yeah, they um, they they weren't cheap. So um, I th- they didn't have the firehouse, and, and Ecto-1 actually wasn't there because um, it had sold out. Um, and and guaranteed, it was probably people in their sort of 30s like me who, who probably bought it, not little kids, because the, the figures themselves um that some of those were still there but uh i mean you can get i think maybe for for 20 quid or something you could get slimer with the the guy selling donut um sorry selling hot dogs from the first movie Hmm. Uh, you can get that as a set you can get the the dogs with peter and dana i say dog the zool dogs i mean yeah um the proton packs and the traps you get with them are really detailed and good looking um, you can get Spengler with like Spengler comes with a ghost which looked like not a ghost from the films, but maybe from the Ghostbusters three computer game, actually, which again again was weird. That blew my mind. You can get um, Ray with Mister Stay Puffed, 
the prices each, I think you're looking at 20 quid. I think it was around about that, if I remember correctly. I think the Ecto-1, obviously, was near enough double that. And then the Firehouse, which wasn't near, I had a look on um, the internet when I got home, and that, that's that's not cheap. But listen, I'm, I'm not going to buy that stuff. I don't have the time, the money, or the inclination uh, <laughs> or, or the space. But I did want to buy it. You know, it was like, I was like, this, if they had had this in like 1988, I would have bought all that stuff or I, I would have wanted to. And it just came out of nowhere. So I'm just wondering if we're going to see Playmobil with all those different themes that I've just mentioned, you know, maybe a Star Wars Playmobil or whatever. And then, and then, yeah, actually, just, just before I wrap that up, when I looked at the Transformers aisle, opposite that, they had Ghostbusters figures. So the um the really large detailed ones which came out years ago which i remember seeing at comic shops basically toys for adult collectors not for kids but they had them in they must have had loads of them left over in stock at whatever company made them kenner or hasbro or whatever because they've re-released them in new packaging and they're detailed quite large not three and three quarter inch you know yeah one and a half nice. yeah yeah one and a half times the size of that again really detailed clothes proton packs traps and everything and um yeah i just oh, i just blew my mind and um just so to make you buy all four of them by the way each of the ghostbusters came with a different piece of the ghostbusters symbol so if you buy all four get all the pieces out and stick it together it makes the, the ghostbusters symbol uh, with a stand which you can put on display as well so so why is this renaissance going on like the the ghostbusters by um paul feig or whatever his name is that that abomination that flopped hard um are they about to come back and i, I don't know about it and why well, because there's no there's there's no real ghostbusters cartoon it's not like they brought that back or anything i mean there's a whole these are kids toys right so there's a whole generation of kids who have no idea who the ghostbusters are absolutely it, it was weird but did, good did, weird. did they have any old cans of ectoplasm <laughs> do you remember those they used to sell those there's like cans of goo uh, and there'd be like a ghost inside at the bottom of the slime. Used to buy tubs of this, tubs of this stuff. Used to sell it in Toys R Us. Uh, those tubs you mentioned, um, yeah, I remember those actually because I remember a friend of mine. Uh, he, he, I think it was Zodiac Toys actually. Um, I don't know if you remember that toy chain in, in Britain. Uh, me and a, fr a friend and our mothers back when we were kids, we, we went to Zodiac Toys, and my friend stole not the, the ectoplasm, but some of the ghosts from the ectoplasm took them out, put them in his pocket. And then as we were walking down the high street, he told his mum because he was such an idiot. And she said, right, I'm taking you to the police station. <laughs> he burst out crying in the middle of the high street. And uh, she made him, uh, well, she didn't make him take them back, but we got to like a, a walkway and he had to throw the toys into the bushes. She said, you're not allowed to take those home. You, uh, stealing's wrong. Good. But let me just finish what I said about the Ghostbusters. You just said, kids don't know about ghostbusters anymore this was my most pleasant surprise when i was standing there looking at the playmobil stuff there was a kid i'm not joking he couldn't have been more than three and a half or four right no joke and his dad was with him and his dad said look look what is this the kid named every single one of the ghostbusters and i looked up at his dad and i said how did he not get scared when he watched ghostbusters has he has he actually seen the film and his dad goes, yeah, he's seen all three of them. He loves them. Loves them. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, brilliant. Top lad. And the, and the lad was standing there. He's going, Peter, Egon. I was like, wow. Well, that's surprising. 
that's surprising. My kids still just roll their eyes when I talk about ghost buses. Oh, it's some ancient thing that used to come on when dad was a kid or some old movie from the 80s when dad was a kid. Yeah, they're not interested in that stuff. But wow, they're bringing this stuff back. That's cool. But the Playmobil stuff surprises me, to be honest with you, because Lego had a Ghostbusters range. So I wonder what's happened there. Yes. Yes, they did. And I remember how the Ecto-1, how ridiculously expensive it was, like 60 or 70 pounds. Yeah, I don't know. Look, can I ask you out of curiosity, your kids, did, did they get scared of the first uh, Ghostbusters? Like when they see the library ghost and stuff like that, does it scare them or did they laugh? Um, One of them jumped a bit with the library ghost, but... Um generally that that, that that those sort of films wouldn't scare them they wouldn't scare them at all so yeah they're, they're a lot more sophisticated now than for example the kids were 25 years ago right yeah and i didn't get much further than that because they 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 haven't sat through all of it and they just yeah they kind of roll their eyes when there's like an old film from the 1980s or something on tv and i'm like oh sit and watch this they're not interested they switch off wow <laughs> makes me feel old oh yeah from Star Wars, of course. Star Wars still has its magic. But there you go. Cool. Glad to hear that. <laughs> okay. Um, probably a good point to wrap up, Bronson. Thank you so much for joining us again. No, pleasure. Um, look forward to having you back soon. We'll discuss more in the world of movies. Um, so thank you guys for listening to this episode of The Intersection. Um, if you haven't subscribed already, please do so. You can find instructions on our website, which is intersectioncast.com. Um, if you want to keep up to date with new episodes on social media, you can uh, follow us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash intersectioncast or our Twitter account, which is at Let's Intersect. If you have any feedback or any questions, any suggestions or things you want us to cover in future episodes, drop us an email, feedback at intersectioncast.com or drop us a Skype voicemail with the same account, feedback at intersectioncast.com. That's our account name. Okay, so thank you all for listening. Thank you once again, Bronson. Well, it was, uh, it was fun. Brilliant, brilliant. Until the next time, that's a wrap. The Intersection. The intersection.